0: to the Coaches Rising podcast, I'm Joel. And in this conversation, I'm going to be talking with Rob McNamara. Rob is a, a leadership coach, a developmental coach. I'll say a few more words about him in a moment. In this conversation, we're going to talk about something that I've been thinking about recently. And oh, I connected with Rob again, reconnected, we've known each other for a few years. And, and I found that he's been on a very similar journey contemplating the same things, we're going to talk about do we have enough time for enough people to reach the later stages of adult development where a certain kind of complexity of meaning making and thinking comes online that could help us navigate these times. Do we have enough time for significant numbers of people to reach those stages when Rob articulates how actually there may be a regression taking place in these moments. So then what are other crucial vectors of development that we might bring in that could accelerate people's development or growth that are that are different to this um developmental trajectory and so we'll explore what are some of those vectors and how do they connect to our own interior um, maturity of development and so rob is creating his own coach training called Coaching in a Time Between Worlds, which launches early next year, where he will focus on how do we cultivate these vectors of development. And Rob will talk about that later in our conversation today. So just a few more words about Rob. I said he's a coach, he's an author. I loved his book, The Elegant Self, that came out a few years ago. He is a co-founder of the consulting firm Delta Developmental. And he's a faculty member of the Ivy School of Business's Lift Advanced Coaching Program. He's also a senior monk and integral Zen Dharma holder training with Diane Musho Hamilton Roshi. So just a quick word. If you're not on our mailing list and you're listening to this via Spotify or somewhere else and you want to hear about other things we create outside of this podcast, you can sign up by heading to coachesrising.com. You'll find a sign up box there. And so then let's dive in. Without further ado, here's the podcast with Rob McNamara. So Rob, good to see you.
1: It's always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's excellent. To it's,
0: I'm touched, actually. It's been um, a while since we've been in this space, um, you know, where we get to jam like this, and uh, I always appreciate this.
1: Totally, and I, I, I've, uh, I'm still kind of resonating from many, many years ago in Amsterdam. Mm. Kind of you know, you had been trying to get a hold of me for I don't know how long and then we finally got to like actually sit down in person and chat it up. And so that yeah. was kind of the beginning of uh what's what's been a fun longer generative relationship. So
0: I've got I've got to share a little story from that we were in you were leading a training and I was in that and there was something you did in that training that I just loved. Like you came in. Uh, What did I do? You came in after we came in after lunch and then uh, we were in this quite large space. And then you were like, okay, so yeah, we're gonna, you were like, huddle up, huddle up everyone. They're like, right, we're gonna, we're gonna get serious now. And so uh, what I want you to do is, each one of you grab one of those chairs on wheels and then you've got a partner and then they're going to push you around the room really fast. (laughs) And uh, so that's what we did for like 10 minutes. You know, it was, it was an amazing kind of like energizer, but I just remember thinking, that's brilliant. Like the, I just loved the boldness of that suggestion. (laughs) Everybody was having a ball, you know, like, I remember someone looking in the window going, what are they doing in there?
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs)
0: yeah that's yeah. fun totally so yeah nice well um yeah I'd love to like tee up our conversation I want to talk to you about the training you're you're kind of putting together and um well we had an amazing conversation now you know three weeks ago or something and um we talked about um the the work you're being called into and also the explorations we've been doing around developmental theory and how maybe there are other important vectors of development or of growth that are valuable in it in these times. Like, you know, this question you pose, like do we have enough time to develop enough people into some of these later stages of maturity, you know, in time for us to respond to what's happening in the world. And so um, just where where are you at with that like I, I think it sets a really good context for yeah for sure
1: things. Um, well the kind of cultural evolutionary conversation that we're becoming more complex and adaptive as a species um, might be true over kind of a broad scale um Like if we really zoom back and look at humanity as a whole, uh, or perhaps like the past couple hundred years, like okay, (laughs) but um, we're in a uh, downward spiral in terms of complexity, Um, and and this is you know part of a broader educational crisis. So we're not growing more complex and capable human beings. We're growing less complex and less capable human beings, unfortunately. Um, and this is a huge, uh, that's a big statement to talk about humanity as a whole, um, but I'm gonna kind of go out on, the, on a ledge and on an edge and say, I think that's kind of what's happening. Um, while we might be coming more complex in very particular ways, in very small pockets, as a general sense, things are not going in the right direction. Um, and so we have, uh, and some of the research uh, is, comes out of the moral meaning making. And you know, if we look at children 40 years ago, and they the level of moral reasoning coming out of uh, that research and compare it with uh, kids today, uh, more recently, it's pretty clear. Um, our children are not as developed in terms of moral meaning making. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm using that as kind of a springboard. And my basic sense is that interpersonal capabilities, complexity of thought, um, we're in, we're in trouble. Um, yeah. And so that that's one kind of, way that we can look at what's happening and say okay how do we respond and just to become more complex in our meaning making structures and our our identity structures is important it's so critical and we're we're falling behind (laughs) we're we're lagging there and then when we look at kind of the existential threats globally um what are we facing Um, We definitely need that greater complexity and to grow it in the sufficient amount of time that we have to deal with some of these, Um, the the complexity stack doesn't work. We're just not going to get um, X number of million human beings with kind of post-formal cognition and (laughs) post-conventional identity development on board Um, and I could be totally wrong hopefully somebody's innovating you know that's part of what I'm trying to do is to innovate a a whole different kind of education that can uh, that can help that problem but we also have to get more creative in my opinion Mm. um, which uh, sets the stage for okay other vectors of development but let me hit pause and see yeah and I just threw a bunch out. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, first, there's a lot in there, and I think before we yeah. talk about those vectors, it's like, because I thought originally, you know, it seems like, yeah, if you look at the general level of dialogue and collaboration, particularly, uh, you know, the the US has been very loud recently, but also in Europe around the world, it's like you can see like this increasing polarization and. Uh, but then I, I was quite surprised by what you said about children. There, that's fascinating to me. That yeah, there are like lower levels of moral meaning making in children. And could you say more about that? Do you do you, do, do the do the researchers there know why that's happening?
1: Um, some of the thinking gets into the educational crisis, and yeah. one of the big challenges is that teacherly authority is faltering, um, and. Uh, we see that in the adult ecosystem the states is a perfect example you've got a president who has no kind of sense of teacherly authority like genuine medical expertise um, and you've got kind of your health officials who are they're trained medical professionals and it's like we're not listening to the trained medical professionals (laughs) Mm. you've got a double phd in virology um who's saying these are the risk factors as we look at kind of COVID right now um and then you've got just kind of like popular opinion uh on social media for example and like Mm. which one do you trust and it's genuinely like people aren't trusting like actual hierarchies of complexity that are really nuanced and good they're going with what what they prefer to go with mm. <laughs> um and just as an example on the adult ecosystem but i was talking with a friend of mine uh last week and her daughter is i think 12 going on 13 and um just everyday student uh parent teacher conference so they're all present and the teacher is not providing any kind of direction Mm. they're actually asking that kind of you know soon to be adolescent like how do you think you're doing what do you want to focus on um and and so uh they're not being held like my friend's daughter is not being held in an educational context where there's a clear direction authority and kind of um ethos to the education it's Mm. why don't you assess yourself which um that's great in some ways (laughs) right um, if we're going to kind of grow that particular skill of self-assessment and actually following your own kind of inner voice um, as a as a young person, like we can say, oh, great, that's awesome. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, she's 12, you know, um, and so this is where we see narcissism kind of climbing. And, you know, in youth And, and the ability to sacrifice self for tutelage for rigorous training other under somebody who has more skill and mastery than you is like that thing is in crisis right now. And so a lot of kids who need a holding container, um, and a directionality, like you need to sacrifice your personal needs, interests, and desires, um, to actually participate in this ethos of the collective that matters more than just your, your agenda. But we're seeing kind of a, an odd confluence of in adulthood here in the States, particularly in more educated ecosystems, you'll see adults that are essentially, um, rightly so, growing into greater self-authorship, having their own voice, having their own kind of disposition, Um, and unfortunately transferring that that load to youth right I was going to say yeah if I could have done this earlier like things could have been so much better for me and that's nice to say as a you know 40 year old or a 32 year old or a 50 year old like that um but it's it's not appropriate for a 12-year-old <laughs> or yeah. a 13-year-old or a 6-year-old. So um, teacherly authority and then kind of um, our own kind of miscalibrations are contributing just as a couple of things. But the main driver would be the, the collapse of teacherly authority.
0: Yeah. Actually, what you just named echoes some of the very conversations I've had with Ellen, my partner, and uh, about about our son, the stepson, my stepson that's in the house. And oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, totally. I see that. Yeah, that, that idea of it's like transference of a self authored view, but on onto young adults, and it there is a play, some place for that. But it, if you miss out the the authoritative piece and the fact that like I've said this, you know, like we're the adults and he's the 12 year old, the 13 year old. And you know, if you just leave him to make his own choices, that might lead down some avenues that that don't
1: work out, you know? So yeah, it's interesting to hear this. Um, And also similar, we see the same thing in kind of the environmental movement. It's like, well, let's have this kid talk to the UN and he, no doubt you know Greta's amazing <laughs> and should be listened to um, and there's something fundamentally wrong when adults are kind of saying you know what we don't quite know what to do here you go kids like um, that kind of developmental load is inappropriate and probably is not going to help them mm. and you know we it's pretty basic you know give somebody too difficult a challenge and you crush the learning and the developmental process give them something that's too easy and similarly you stunt the developmental process so um yeah we we've got some we've got some challenges ahead brother And just to stay in this a bit
0: longer because i think it's um, whilst there's you know pessimism in it it's also really valuable valuable to hear this like is, are there any other factors that are like pouring into this sense of you know complexity uh, the complexity of adults actually lowering or, or not growing in the way it could
1: what what else is contributing to it
0: yeah you know i mean i think of social media and and um you know that contributing to the polarization of worldviews and echo chambers and so on. Uh, but yeah, I wonder if there's anything else that's comes to mind is contributing.
1: Well, so sense-making, um, what is happening is faltering. Um, meaning making is faltering. Why are things happening? Um, And then, of course, you've got teacherly authority, just as three huge educational crises. But those two around what's happening and why. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Those pieces um, are faltering, uh, not just because of circumstance, but also very intentionally um, that we engineer technologies to be really sticky you know that we want people who don't get off our platforms you know and we're in this very gnarly situation where it is more valuable to create technologies that dig into the root brain stem of your basal motivations um, and keep you fixated there and so yeah. one of the perhaps greatest existential threats is the attack on our information ecology via social media. Mm-hmm. At least that position is worth our kind of open nuanced dialogue about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, it's amazing um, that we can connect and communicate in the diverse ways. And yet when we look at misinformation and disinformation, just propagates at a rate that like truthful quality information moves we're just you know we are in a losing battle you know Mm -hmm. the fact that you and i could actually just spin up something that um mimetically just moves really quickly and creates a lot of attention and energy for us is is uh is like hugely problematic <laughs> mm. it's like having a you know a massive massive amplifier yeah. for lies and you know and not just not just lies and and disinformation um, misinformation and disinformation just you know like one is I just made a mistake <laughs> yeah the yeah, other is I'm intentionally crafting this to um, coerce and change your behavior for my personal benefit mm. um, uh, so certainly the, the polarization that's happening is being magnified via uh, the, the media ecosystem as a whole but social media in particular yeah. and it's uh, a huge crisis yeah. um, but we're also kind of running into the barriers of education and capitalism and this kind of dovetails into this, this issue around teacherly authority where, you know, when I talk to professors, um, the school fundamentally will back the student as a consumer. Like, it's your job to make the student happy because they're paying $60,000 <laughs> to sit in your classrooms, you know. Um, and we need that money um, and make them happy. And the students show up, um, no fault to their own, entitled, like, I'm not here to get something from you. I'm here to get my degree and you're going to give me a good experience because mm-hmm. I'm a consumer and this is a, I'm buying a product and this is what I expect. And I'm not a happy consumer and I'll go elsewhere if you know, need be. So the, the consumer mentality, I think, is eroding the classroom as well, particularly when we get into, into the higher education ecosystem. So I'm rambling a little bit, but... Well, um, no, but
0: I, yeah. I, I think it gives us a sense of, you know, if you add in also on top of that, the kind of um, critical race theory... Uh, kind of, you know, the harder left, the left moving to more to the left and some of the woke ideology, which has very good intentions, but is also, um, I think, having a a big impact on the quality of um, connection and dialogue taking place in some ways. I I think it just highlights there are many streams of like um, influences right now that are perhaps contributing to what you're talking about. And so, yeah, that does lead me to this sense of what can we do, you know, like in the face of this, um, like, you know, is there hope in a sense, like, um, maybe it's that question now about what are some of the vectors of growth? Like if we're saying that people aren't becoming more complex fast enough for us to face some of these challenges, then what might we focus on, you know, like where, where is, where can things like coaching or education focus in a way that could really make a difference?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, in terms of it, when we look at, you know, what is Joel's issues, what is Rob's issues? Complexity immediately is like, is a part of the equation. We've got to work at, what are the challenges that are present and how do we grow more complex skills to make sense of what's happening, but also to respond and be able to actually operate on the things that are troubling you and holding you back. So all of the developmental kind of complexity work as, uh, we've been at, uh, for many, many years is like essential. We're not saying that we need to get rid of that, but it is not the end all solution. Um, And, uh, so just to kind of affirm, like, we really need that rigor. We really need that curiosity. We really need it. Um, it's vitally essential to how we coach, how we educate, how we parent, how we manage, how we lead, how we love like awesome. (laughs) And, um, we have to get into the, um, the basic orientations of the human being. So we can think of instead of growing up and creating more of a complexity stack, we gotta go down. This this would be another uh, direction, another vector of development. So we need to get into our, our basic, most elemental building blocks of what is the human being, and what are we together? And that requires some courage to reimagine, or just imagine. What are we, you know? And and what are we to become? And this question around what are you, which is different than who, is uh, gets into, you know, the we can call it the, the soul of the human being like the uh, the elemental foundations of what motivates us what moves us and by changing the most basic presuppositions and the most basic orientations around the human being we can create change dramatic change very very quickly and and that's needed because the if complexity is really a transcendent include move, no amount of complexity will get out of basic misunderstandings about what the human being is. <laughs> mm. If if the fundamental starting point is that I'm an economic agent, for example. And I've got tremendous complexity built on that. I can, you know, grow into kind of some self-transforming ecosystem, um, you know, post-conventional or post-post-conventional, some you know, highly highly complex ways. But I'm still going to be motivating those basic images that the, that my reason, the purpose for me to be alive, is to mobilize economic generativity in the world. Mm. And go ahead. uh, And and so getting the right forms of complexity growing is one of the deep questions that we as a community have to grapple with. Not just complexity, any kind of complexity. What what kinds of complexity are gonna possibly kill us? And what kinds of complexity have the have the possibility of genuinely fostering a world that is you know exquisitely beautiful for your one-year-old yeah yeah (laughs) and like um but if we get too intoxicated in the language stack the complexity stack um we're going to miss these kind of very intimate and very raw investigations of us reimagining uh who uh who we can become you know and and at our basic roots what we are yeah let me hit pause because that was a bunch yeah well
0: so you said like changing um the the this basic supposition of like who we are and changing in a sense like the, the, the 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 fundamental nature of the complexity stack that's built what could you point us to that change? Like you said the word soul, like what what are we? Could you point us to that stack? Like so we can get a sense of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think we're at at the root. We're made up by some constellation of images. And so just classic developmental theory, all of our language is resting on images. You know, and I think the last time we talked, it's like your, your one-year-old is starting to kind of conceive of you when you're not around. And that conception is first an image that in your absence, you know, he's able to envision and see you. You know, and and only then can Dada (laughs) Mm -hmm. or Dad start to kind of form. Right. And all of our complexities are literally resting on images of how we envision ourselves in the world that we're in. And so it's kind of peering into the realm of image that we start to get into like these very basic um notions of of what we are and what our world is um and this is like profoundly uh pivotal you know Mm. like your perception of the environment that the pre-covid world (laughs) that you were in um and the friends and the family and the colleagues and the work that you're engaged in what's happening nationally and internationally, all of that was being kind of, uh, was shaping the genetic kind of leaning of like your child prior to conception. Mm. And, uh, same with your wife's perceptions and, and like that's creating, a. A whole different like the images that you're navigating and trafficking in um is literally changing like what your child's preparing for prior to conception yeah. and then after conception it continues as well but like um i go i go to this kind of conception thing because it's it is that powerful or at least that's you know yeah some of the some of the research into it is like if if you perceive a dangerous environment it'll like literally <laughs> your the the genetic expressions of your sperm are like leaning in a particular direction to produce somebody who can survive in that situation super safe a different leaning you know um so let me hit pause and yeah
0: well I'm, I'm i'm like i'm resisting um sharing some stuff and i just want to stay with this like sense of like what do you mean by image like i want to make sure for listeners that we, we like get a sense of this because i think it's really important and so um when, when you say images
1: like could you say what you mean by that T- totally yeah and there's different ecosystems of image but the world that you illuminate Is one way to think about it. So, quite literally, your perceptions, even if you're blind, are illuminating the world as you know it. So, like, that is the image structure that's most basic. Mm. And the environment that's illumined uh, co creates or co constructs this this agent this kind of uh activity of choice that you are (laughs) Mm. and and that's also an image Um, Mm. and i often use this very you know root analogy of like if you cross what is most beloved to me if that's the the world that gets illuminated and you're part of that threat um, the Rob that you will come to know is he's a warrior and he's -hmm. he's loving but he's fierce and he's uh, clear and unrelenting in what he must both live for and die for and save for and kill for so that's totally different experience than for you to illuminate rob the lover Mm. those are different images of who i am and who you are um and so this starts to get into like the image structure you know so i for whatever reason like the warrior kind of energetic archetype image is just—it's been there. Yeah, <laughs> and and yet, like, yet my Zen name is Dai Shin, Great Heart. Like, I'm totally a lover, uh, and uh, but which one gets illuminated is totally dependent on what happens. But I also now have some choice. Yeah. And we all have choices about which images get illuminated and which ones we don't. You know? um, and so uh, as a leader, am I illuminating a organization that's really hunkering down and protecting our intellectual property? What is ours? and how to kind of fortifying kind of the ownership and protecting it. And in, you know, no fault to their own most of the time, just engaging in rivalrous dynamics to, you know, yeah. we want to protect this because we're against that. <laughs> right. And that's a totally different quality of leader than somebody who's genuinely curious about a world where those rivalrous dynamics aren't really all that interesting. It's, you know, how do I go to that competitor and actually let's collaborate and do something that neither of us could do independently. Let's just do something together. Let's cooperate. And that cooperative vision illuminates a very different world of possibilities. And in an instant, like we can talk about the complexity needed to cooperate across rivalrous dynamics and the cognition involved and all that. That's all important. But uh, most of the time we see tremendous complexity building and accelerating uh, rivalrous dynamics. And no matter how complex, the complexity is always servicing like this, let's get our camp to advance and you not. (laughs) <laughs> right right and and this is where like just a pivot of image like instead of a you know a competitor like that image the, the competitive image structure what if you know we worked with you're a shepherd mm. yeah there's this camp over there and there's this camp over here and like your job is to is to move both of them into some more fertile meadows because they've Mm -hmm. been here a while. Like, (laughs) like it's time to move on and let this grass grow. Like, as soon as we do that, like whole different world spaces emerge and then whole different forms of complexity start to grow. Right. And, um, you know, complexity is often a, it's a numbers game in some ways. Um, how many learning cycles did you spend in the shepherd imagery, versus how many did you spend in kind of rivalrous dynamics? Yeah, you know. So let me hit pause and yeah, as I often say, is
0: your sense that this like Im- these images are um, something that we, you know, like Joel the the rational individuated self chooses in a moment. Or that in a way that we can open to the image that wants to inhabit us, you know, that may be unique to us, different. My image or or collection of images is different to you and that, you know, we can open and then, um, you know, the image comes to us. And that's a very different feeling than like my, you know, my kind of rational mind kind of choosing an image that might fit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just to acknowledge that the rational mind is, is built on a particular image of the human being's kind of discursive um, prowess. Right. <laughs> and that just to, that yeah, to, to think in, into abstractions and to kind of reason as a, as a, as a being that is somehow disconnected from emotion. Like that image is like, we have just, we have exalted a whole world around that. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the image that we've grown. Like, so it's even everything that we do with language is already resting on image structure. So that would be the first thing. And then I love your inquiry. I think it's the right one. like, is this image that you're enacting right now, is it really yours? Because if it's not like you're forfeiting the most meaningful parts of your life, Mm. period. And what are we doing? If you forfeited what is most vital and essential to you. Right. And that's a, not let's like one in my opinion that's like the ethical issue that humanity has to face um but you're gonna say yeah. something about it.
0: yeah so so like i the way i hold that is that you know many of us hold sort of socialized images um and and you know like i'm i want to see where you how i interpret what you're saying like but um, what it is to be a father or to, to be successful or to, you know, to be good and um, that, you know, like in my own journey, I, I, there came a point where that was just deeply unsatisfying and even the kind of so, the self-authored images, you know, that I wanted to be or become were limited perhaps in the ways that you just mentioned with the rational mind but there was this place there was a place where like like the the imaginal is something we haven't talked about but it was like there there was just an opening to different ways of knowing and perceiving and that uh, often spoke in images to me and they 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 like it was like where did they come from you know because those images often it wasn't like i was trying to manufacture them it was actually They came through the 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 work of of opening and letting go and you know uh, sometimes in nature sometimes in meditations like you know the image of becoming a container for me was a very powerful image that came online and has a very potent impact on the way that i coach people for example you know like there's a very palpable energetic structure to it and You know, interestingly, I noticed that's what I was doing with my Star Wars figures when I was a child. You know, I was actually setting up these arenas for something to emerge. You know, I wasn't like, you know, like I would be like, like carefully putting things in place, like creating a container. And then once that once it was all just set for something to emerge, it was like I was done at that point, you know, and then I'd move off and do my next thing. So Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's why I'm asking this question about where do these images come from? And I'm getting a really beautiful kind of sense of like, wow, like you're helping me take that idea further, you know, of like how powerful so it's coming back to that question of what you said, that that, um, this could be a potent accelerator of creative good, you know, of collaboration that if we reimagined, if we tuned into the world images, even the collective images that we want to inhabit, the, um, radically change the, the way we're seeing things you know, and feeling things. I'm not sure right. if there's a question in there, but I'll just see what.
1: Well, we, we talked about kind of the image or image structure of the illumined world, and you're, you're pointing at the other one which we've been kind of dancing around, which is that kind of internal to you, there's this ecosystem of images that has had you, and um, and this is kind of like the ancient Greeks um, postulated that the that the the soul your calling was kind of stamped onto you prior to coming in. So some kind of involutionary process of like Joel, like you are going to convene that is mm. your like some image of like the one that sets the the context in the container such that fertile things happen like boom that that was yours <laughs> and so um there is something to be said about that these these images likely preceded your conception and existence mm. And whether you want to subscribe to some kind of transmigrated, some kind of transmigration of the soul from lifetime to lifetime, or like just a more kind of complex view that things happen in subtle ways prior to kind of your, your birth, you know, regardless of what you kind of sign up to, um, And the other option, even more conventional, would just be like, you've just inherited these from culture that have been kind of carried and you, you grew up in them and they, some of them took to you, (laughs) You Mm -hmm. regardless of where you were on. And these images are like deep in the human psyche. And, um, and there's uh, a constellation of them that have you. And the way that you know that you're participating with images that are your own, uh, it, it is a sense of vital force and significance. It, there's there's an energetic felt quality that vivifies experience. And like that's what we want to orient towards. And and coming back to the ethics, if, if Rob sacrifices that most innate allegiance to what moves me and what fuels this basal drive to have rich experience, if I sacrifice that, I'll do almost anything mm. to try to make up for it. And that's kind of the scenario that we're... So many of us are in. <laughs> mm. Just say yeah, what you we, mean by that. Like
0: you, if you sacrifice the um, this vital, you know, um, l- the living of these images, you mean of. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So let, let's just say that, like, I love this. I'm totally with you on the convener. <laughs> like, yeah. um, uh, you transmit that that quality. Um, and you're doing it right now, I think we're actually right. participating with your calling.
0: Because you know, I, I just, I feel that life force, that vitality. And I, I said container, but convener is a big part of it. It's interesting you say that. Because yeah. it's like, that's, yeah, yeah, that's a big part of it too.
1: Yeah, and so just like, let's both be paying attention to the image structures that are present. Because like, yeah. it's, like it's here <laughs> we're, we're in it um but let's say that we sacrifice this and we start to kind of steer off course and we're just well you know let's go the success route you know like how do we make coaches rising more successful um what's going to be more kind of productive for you and I to do in our conversation like it now if, if we're sincerely lit up by those images and those kind of inquiries like no problem <laughs> but if you're not right like I I don't particularly get all like lit up about you know how do you and I kind of nurture our success mm-hmm. like I'm like yeah okay <laughs> yeah but if we do that we will probably do just about anything to maximize success because we're always chasing this basic trade-off that we didn't even know that we made. Yeah. So we sacrifice the convener and we're now looking for power and success. Right. And you'll never get enough power and success to satisfy convening and how inherently intrinsically rewarding it is. And that, at any rate you get the point yeah that it's that piece and unfortunately to why are we becoming less complex i think part of it and and why are we seeing ceilings to developmental complexity over the past since we've started studying it (laughs) the past hundred years or so like like we're it just seems like yeah some people get further but Gosh, that conventional stage, man, it's mm. hard to get people past it. And it might be because this fundamental issue that we're trying to grow homogenized, interchangeable units of complexity that creates stable societies. That's awesome. Um, but it doesn't nurture human uniqueness, in the way that we do and and this life force that you're feeling around the convening and that my heart feels around the convening is probably the vital rocket fuel if we ever are going to become more complex it collectively you know but we're not going to manufacture that energy you know we've got to really hug the images and the diversities and like the tensions we haven't really talked about this part of it yet but the tensions that are in inside of us and between us that fosters like real energetic vitality anyway it
0: totally You, you i just felt completely lit up by what you said you know about this being the rocket fuel uh it, it, it's like that's you put you help me get clarity on on perhaps the the dissatisfaction that I felt with um, a purely kind of um, complexity game you know that's, that's based upon abstraction on top of abstraction but it's but it's missing that core that you, you you're, you're pointing to now you know and so this this sense of the, the fuel you know the that um, and it's it's um it's it's that it's expanded outside of the that purely rational you know logical arena you know and i think that's important like some somehow it's like that we're being called in to expand our sense of where we source ourselves from um and and so, yeah, like, and, and so it's interesting because, because yeah, you're talking about it and you, and it's lighting something up inside of me. And then that's, you know, there's a kind of flow to that. There's, it's, it has a creativity to it, a life force to it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I I, I, I forgot what I wanted to ask you or what, what you just said, but. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, and just to contrast in terms of this notion of vectors of development, you've got, yeah. Subject-object differentiation, you know, which is kind of one of the classic measures of complexity or basic mechanics of hierarchical complexity. And this vector is the opposite. We're we're getting up. Uh, we're getting objectivity. There's something about the convening, right? Like so. Yeah. That's now the object. The object is not to operate on that more in more you know complex ways. Um. It's, it's the opposite. No, 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 no. That's not to operate on. That's actually to surrender into, to be enveloped by, to get immersed into more intimately, to live more potently as that thing, not to operate on it and manage it in some sense. You know, and this is <clears throat> where kind of the this work around image and, you know, we haven't talked about ensoulment but like if we want to can consider that it's it's an insouling process of becoming more uniquely full of yourself not in an arrogant or narcissistic way but like you're full of the purposes that ultimately matter to you and um and like how do we do that <laughs> you know and yeah, yeah. go ahead well
0: that this is where I always wondered about these developmental maps where uh it always felt like they were missing the soul piece. And I was like I was like, does that go on top, you know? Or you know, is it just a it's a different vector? And we're talking about it being a different vector here, but there is something about the self transforming where um at the very least, like um like what I'm just going to agree with what you said, like what I noticed in my clients is there's a way that uh, a, a, a certain point in their work, it's about that subject object move, you know, they did the disidentifying from uh, socialized parts or beliefs. Sure. And um, so the move there is disidentifying, but what happens is there's a point where it's about becoming, it's about identifying as the the quality of ensoulment that's showing up, you know, it's a very, it's a different move. It's that, maybe it's that kind of coming down the invertive move that you were talking about where then it's like a transmission, they become an embodiment of that quality yeah. and there's a transmission of it. And there's a, there's a creativity that comes through in that moment, you know, and in that moment, like you said, you wouldn't want to say like, okay, let's, let's look at this, you know, let's disidentify and look at this. No, it's like, they're in a sense, a kind of a wholeness in that moment. And it's often where there's a kind of like the ontology and epistemology has, has come together. Being and knowing has come together and they're just, they're being that image, you know, and that, that's where that gift comes into the world. There's a sense of like goodness or um, service or something that is coming through them in that moment. So I, I, yeah I get, I get i light up when i hear you talk about it in this way because it, it kind of mirrors what i've been seeing in my work with my clients
1: yeah yeah and this i think is just a vital image for the human being that like the the, the climbing metaphor the stair step up um the ascension the getting to the mountaintop all of those things are just so deep in the psyche and they're very intoxicating um, And that which is fine, Um, but we also have to conceive of the human being as this ever deepening process where you're getting more entangled with your calling, with people, with limitations, with embracing kind of um, the unseen, unknown dimensions of, of your life that invoke genuine exploration and courage and Mm. like real journeying you know and that isn't really known by the climber yeah um and we but we need both (laughs) right and there's others too but just to kind of stay focused on these two different vectors like um like the image of joel having the courage to kind of soften and soak and be worked by like the things that have you is a very different intent and motivation from uh one that is gaining greater mastery and control to operate on self and other. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like very different image structures and, and this is part of the, the tension, like like what's You know your particular attention what part of the ascension or or kind of climber view is is totally you you know (laughs) like that's also important but but how do you kind of immerse is is equally important And, and in my opinion like this conversation is the most important ethical conversation that we can have yeah for those reasons that we already talked about like
0: yeah And I I, want to kind of talk about your training that's coming up because it's, you know, you're going to be it's kind of you're creating this because you're feeling the call to equip more coaches to to work with these vectors. And just one little comment about the kind of nonlinear change that seems to work in this, um, you know, installment vector for me. It's like that's where. there's just a, it seems to work differently. Like there's there's something that comes through in that moment, um, a creativity or a response that has this non-linearity to it, which I think could be where we might enact change in the world in ways that might surprise us. You know, because if we imagine just incremental change moving forward now, it just seems like uh, that that that's just not how it's going to happen. You know, we haven't got time for that. So yeah I wanted to drop that in and and then just say like yeah could like um yeah what could you tell us about this training you're creating it's working with some of these vectors and I think it's been you're you're wanting to call coaches in and
1: um equip them in these skills yeah 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 um so my good friend and colleague uh Gabe Wilson and I are are co-leading it and um And the three areas that we're really focusing on are what we're calling generative dialogue. And we just, we see that if we don't get better at real robust dialogue, we're just in deep trouble. (laughs) So so if you want to like be armed with the tools that can move us from crisis into thriving, Um, it is through the pathways of dialogue Um, and so we're we're looking down uh, that kind of ecosystem of how are we called to create generative dialogue in the face of whatever it is you know Um, and then this notion of beloved community um, which at its heart perhaps is you know How do we see love in our images of how and why we come together? Um, And that that kind of um, to imagine a beloved community and not just like your small ecosystem of community, but is it possible that from a geopolitical view, we could start to imagine the beloved community? that across differences, across, you know, trespasses, we do things that are unreasonably kind. Um, and so, you know, how do we get into beloved communities, like the second kind of main camp? And then we'll go into awakened calling, which is a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of yeah. insolvent and image. And um, that how do we kind of deepen the richness of the human being? and for people who are coaching or training or consulting, like if the vehicle of you is the instrument of your service, um, which is really all of us, but some of us, it's more pronounced. Um, and we can't hide behind other things that we're creating. It's like, like when you coach, Joel is the thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, is the, the agent of change so yeah. how do we kind of deepen that so those are the kind of the three uh camps that we'll be exploring and it's just a 10-week course um but we're going to do a deep dive in january uh, a good um eight-hour plunge and then it'll be more of uh, 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 a two-hour kind of weekly increment but um, yeah. just a little bit of the nuts and bolts
0: and um, just last question, that is the idea that you would, you would, that would be like a deep dive for the coaches in those three terrain, those the domains that then up levels them yeah period on being a coach. And, and, and is it equipping them to work with other people in those domains or is it mostly focused on? Yeah,
1: no, it'll be part just we're evolving the instrument of you and then part yeah. we're growing the right forms of complexity to generate more robust dialogue to really weave beloved community in in a whole diverse kind of ways that, that are enlivening for you. And then how do you, um, participate with your calling more robustly?
0: Yeah.
1: And that kind of sets the stage of like potentiating the, the, the student, you know, the coach, the learner, and giving them skills to kind of immediately put it into motion in terms of talking with your partner <laughs> parenting yeah leading a group facilitating a group so certainly um uh, people who are really thoroughbreds with one-on-one stuff but they're kind of feeling called to work with groups more this is a, a fun place to start there too
0: yeah beautiful yeah. It sounds awesome uh first thing i get is like ah the, the 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 kind of the juice in there as well you know um sometimes like the purely developmental stuff it's like it has a particular flavor to it which i love too but this just feels like love you know community love generative dialogue calling like my experience that stuff has this like vitality to it you know it's like has this almost that like sensuality like life yeah. uh which is rich and meaningful in inherently you know uh, which I think you've alluded to in our conversation today okay thanks for listening and just a few quick words again if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about the trainings we create for coaches that are all online or the the free offerings we create that are not this podcast then head to coachesrising.com Put your name in the sign-up box you find there and you'll stay in the loop. I'd be grateful if you would share this podcast or if you would leave a review. Just want to get as many coaches knowing about it as possible. And, you know, again, check out Rob's work. Uh, You can find out more about his program, Coaching in a Time Between Worlds, at deltadevelopmental.com forward slash coaching training. So be well. And I will see you again. Thanks for listening.